Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the love that you have shown us. We thank you, Father, for calling us out of darkness into light. We thank you, Father, for uh, not only creating us and sustaining us, but then setting apart a day where we might reflect on you, our need for you, and your gracious provision to us in satisfying that need. We ask this morning, as we consider uh, the practical matters of what it means to be your children, that we would remember uh, the ultimate goal in our design, that we might glorify you and enjoy you forever, and that we might remember that we love you because you first loved us. Be with us, we pray this morning, in Christ's name, amen. The last time that I taught a Sunday school class, uh, I, I taught it on speaking the truth in love. And while I had a bunch of people come up to me after the class and tell me that it was really convicting, um, I didn't have a lot of people come up to me after the class and say, you know, God loves me more than I can imagine, and I can't imagine anything more than spending eternity with him. And the reason why I bring this up right now is because that's the way I felt after preparing for that class. But the way that I got there was by being convicted of my sin. And so I think that when I was communicating what I learned, I did a really good job on the first part of convicting people of uh, their limitations, limitations that we all have. But I don't think that I conveyed the part that was the most important part, which is the foundation for what catalyzes our lives as Christians. And that catalyst is the gospel itself. Um, if I were to ask you for a definition of the gospel, what would you uh, reply? Is there anybody who'd like to take a stab at that? That's, uh, you actually stepped a little bit ahead of me. I was going to give a, a shorter definition. We'll get, we'll get back to that in just a second. Was, did I see another hand come up? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Any, anyone else? have hope. And that's actually going to be one of the things that is, again, foundational, to, to continue using that word, because I, 
couldn't think of any uh, good synonyms. It's going to be foundational to, to our uh, giving life to the Christianity that we have, making it practical. So the, the, the really pithy definition that I have for the gospel is it's the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I think that Ronnie sort of unpacked what all that means. She, she gave uh, us a sense of what all these different elements mean, that there's a holy God, and we all kind of understand that there's something broken about us. There's a holy God, and he has provided a way to, to fix those things that are broken. What we're going to do today is we're going we're to take a walk through... Um, Oops, why does this thing, I thought I deleted that slide. Here we go. <laughs> We're going to take a look at uh, the, uh, the epistle to the Galatians, and we're going to take a look at a small passage in here, and we're going to focus on a couple of elements that are critical in the gospel that are uh, enlivening to our faith. So first I'll go ahead and read it. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, I've highlighted a couple of sections in bold here. Uh, and we're going to take a closer look at some of the implications behind these sections. So the present evil age, what are some of the things that, uh, well, before we jump into this, let me, uh, let's reiterate a couple of things about the gospel. Should have ordered these charts a little bit differently here. I should have hit this one first. The gospel is what changes us. It changes everything. Could I get somebody to read uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 2 through 9? Okay, thank you, Matthew. And Philippians 1, 6. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Okay, yes. Give thanks to my God always for you, because of the grace of God that is 
does anyone, could anyone tell me some of the differences between this passage that Matthew just read and the one that I read from Galatians? Can you identify any differences? Think of it in terms of tones, themes, uh, and even content. Ronnie? Galatians has a very stern tone. Very good. Anything else? Matthew? That's a great summary, great summary. There are a couple of other details maybe that, uh, that, uh, that you might notice that sort of reinforce what Ronnie and Matthew have just said, that one is very stern, the other one has kind of an optimism, and one is addressing the wrong application of the gospel, while the other is addressing the, the theological problem of having the wrong gospel. What are some other things you notice as a result of those, of those two uh, elements? John. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let me let me put Galatians back up so that no, I keep that guy's supposed to be gone. Galatians chapter one, three through ten. Yeah, he, in, in this one, in, in, in the problem of the gospel, he does address the evil age. 
that there's, a, that there's an evil age that we will always be contending with. Good, good. Anything else? <laughs> Anything else? There's a uh, there's something that's common. He has the grace to you piece, but there's there's something that's actually absent in Galatians that he says in virtually all of his other letters. in Corinthians. It's present there. What is it that... Very good, very good. Good catch. <laughs> that was... that was. It would have been easier if I had uh, had the passage up here and probably highlighted it too, to Jay's point. It's a, it seems like a minor point, but he's not thanking... He doesn't give thanks to God for what's going on in Galatians. This is a serious problem. It's a problem and he, he highlights it with the way that he writes it and with his tone. There's all this optimism. He's getting when you read the rest of Corinthians he really slams them. There's some really, really harsh language in there. Yet he starts it out with this optimistic sense that you recognize that there's good news for hell-deserving sinners and you understand what that is but you just don't understand what that means in your life. So that's one side of practical Christianity. But the other side, which is worth examining because it can cause problems in Christ practical Christianity as well, is the notion that you really need to understand the depths of the gospel. And so there's a, an element there where we have the gospel, what is it? And the, the first, if you look back over here, that there, we see that there is power in the gospel. And there's, the, the power is kind of subtle. Uh, and if you take a look at verse, verse 6, it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So him who called you. This idea of being called. Um, what are some other places in scripture where we see that language? Uh, I'm sorry? Isaiah is called, yes. And he has a very uh, significant emotional event when he is called. And, and let's use Isaiah as an example. And what's Isaiah's response when he's called? Here I am. <laughs> yes. Any others? Yes. Yes. And there's, a, there's some really dramatic scenes, like the, the scene when uh, in John when... When he's, uh, when he's calling his disciples and they stop what they're doing and they follow him. What, what are the implications of God calling? 
Yes. So Jonah, when Jonah uh, to, is called, he doesn't follow at first, but eventually he follows. And jo Jonah would be a, uh, we don't have enough time. Jonah would be a great digression because you can see how God acts with his people. But yes, he, eventually the, the call becomes uh, irresistible. Yes, Dave. Yeah, yeah. When God calls, you can't resist. And Dave, you were going to say something. Yeah. called and this now when God calls how's his call different than when we call like I'll, I'll use an example I, I hope that this doesn't get my wife upset but it's more a flaw with me than with her like she often calls me for dinner and I'm working away I work from home now and so I'll say just a second I just have to do this one more thing and on more occasions than I would care to admit, I end up causing problems with dinner. And those who have joined us for dinner or uh, have, have spent time with us have seen that people will be waiting around in the kitchen for Chris to show up because Ronnie called me, but like, I don't answer in an, in an immediate way. Uh, so, when, but when God calls people, they come, and it's because God is using the power of the gospel in our lives. Uh, this this phrase, "power of the gospel," it's only used in two places in Scripture. It's used here, and it's also used to to, to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. But when you think about the power of God for those who believe, how it's the power of God for those who believe, think back to some other areas where we hear God speaking. What are some areas where God speaks and creation listens? He ended up going. Moses is another place, yes. Any others? Ronnie? In creation, in creation itself. Um, God called the world into being, and it's that same power that he exerts in the lives of his people. So this is, this is the power that created, you know, scientists have estimated anywhere from, what, 50 billion to... 200 billion galaxies in the universe, each one with, you know, a similar number of stars. And if you think about that, just how much volume that is, and that's what he used to, to light, to light the heavens for the earth for us here. That kind of power is at work in our lives. It's powerful, 
That's what he's talking about here when he's talking about us being called. That's what's calling us. When God calls, people listen. We listen, we hear, we hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. What else do we see in, in this particular passage? Him who called you, there's power there. Let's take a look at verse 7. Uh, distort the gospel. What's implied by the notion that the gospel's being distorted here? What's the implication of that? What has to be what has to be true about the gospel in order for it to be distorted? Ronnie? Jesus needs to be divine. Yes, he's not just some person to be followed. He's not just a good example. He's God himself. Anything else? Mike? Yes, it's God working in us. Anything else? Yes, that there's there's a need for the gospel. John. I would say that that's, that is what's foundational to this, uh, this particular passage here. Like if we take a look at, at Galatians 6 and 7, where it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that the gospel is, it has content. It's something that you can talk about, that you can have an intellectual engagement with, that it's something that actually, it's, it's, there are, are ideas, and with those ideas are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. And there are different elements of our faith where we continue to struggle. Now, I was going to have a slide on this, but I think it, it's, 
probably worth covering that that there's there's always a balance in Christianity. There's faith and there's works. There and that turns into the battle between legalism and antinomianism, where you don't have enough faith, you start thinking that your actions have some impact on your on your eternal destiny. And then there are some other ones, there are some other others who say, well, nothing matters because I believe. And there's this point in the middle that God expects us to strike, strike the balance, and we're always kind of teetering one way or the other. It's kind of the same thing, speaking the truth with love. All truth is God's truth. It's important to be truthful. But sometimes we're truthful to the point of not being kind and caring and loving in the way that we communicate it. We can be harsh. Uh, and again, there's um, the way that God works in his creation with um, his steadfast love and his holiness, which is kind of along, runs along the same theme. There's the steadfast love that you show, but when you love someone, you have to tell them the truth. And so with, with, with the gospel, there are, there's an element of God working in the lives of his people and his people responding. So there's this content, there's this uh, truth that we have to understand, but that truth actually ha is important. It's not something where you, you can be sloppy or careless with it, and it's not just some kind of spiritual feeling. There, there's actual foundational truth, and that truth starts with our sin, our need for grace, and the way that God so richly provides. Yes. Well, I, I would say that, that truths are, are, truths are facts that are unassailable, I guess. And, you know, if you're an objectivist or if you're a, you know, a deconstructionist, then you might not believe that. You might believe that you, you were constantly refining truth. But truth is something that's unassailable, like scripture. We believe that scripture is inerrant. It's kind of the, it's one of the foundations that we have of what we believe. And so scripture, the truth within scripture is something that's unassailable. While, and if you want to look at how we reason, like we may call something a fact, but facts are things that you may or may not be able to ascertain, but truth is something that's true and that is never false. I'm not, sometimes it can't be. Some things are axiomatic. And the way that, but the way that God proves it is in our lives. Matthew, you're smiling. You have, you have uh, <laughs> wishing you were the one who was answering. <laughs> no, <I'm not. 
is probably not that satisfying of an answer. <laughs> yes. Yes, there's a, uh, there, there's a way that, that truth, I guess, there, there was a point that I was, I, I was actually, uh, when I was kind of paring this down, I had a, I had a section in here. It's prob this is probably worth covering because this was something that I covered. Oh, did I take it out already? Yeah. This was something that I covered in my prep. So we can take a look at it here real quick. That the, the way that we approach things in, in Scripture is by um, first seeking to know, then to understand, and then to have wisdom. That's kind of like the progression. And uh, let me read something. This is from the, the Elder's Handbook. <clears throat> where it talks about knowledge and understanding and then wisdom. Do not confuse knowledge with understanding. One may know much, yet understand little. Knowing is the fruit of diligence and study. So, that, so you can collect a bunch of facts, if, if, as it were. While understanding is the fruit of of using knowledge in life. So like once you, once you know something, it's one thing, but understanding is another. Like I may, uh, the example that I use, which is always, I, I kind of hesitate to, to use it because it's, it, it's technical, but it's not really all that hard to understand. And it's like, if I have a, if I have a problem with a computer program that I'm, that I'm running, and I know that this happens every time, that after, after it's been running for, Two weeks, we have to reboot the server because it stops working. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why that can happen, but I can just I can know that there's that problem, and every two weeks, I can reboot the server, or I can debug the problem and find out why it's being caused. You know, what's going on? Is it a memory leak? Is it a race condition? Uh, is it a is it a, a deadlock, which is kind of a a, a, another kind of race condition. There's all, there's all kinds of technical reasons why that may have to happen. Like, I may know what's going on, but I don't understand. And the way that God works with us as well is he, he gives us things to know, and that's in Scripture, but then there's understanding. Yes, Lee. Yes, that's a good way to describe it. That's very helpful. And the way that truth works in the, in the life of the Christian is to, to kind of reiterate, do not confuse knowledge with understanding. One may know much, yet understand little. Knowing is the fruit of diligence and study, while understanding is the fruit of using knowledge in life. Understanding of God's word is given through the spirit to those who seek to obey that word. So that's where you start understanding stuff. 
practical Christianity, part of its role is to help us to see the value of the gospel. Because as you seek to do those things to which God calls you, you find out that you can't do it. And God's gospel starts to become really sweet because you realize that you need his forgiveness. We come to understand the Bible by, in fact, standing under its commands. You may not notice such growth in understanding in yourself, but others will profit from it and the church will be blessed. You come through obedience to a supernatural authority and keeping watch, all by keeping watch over your own obedience. So you recognize that you need God's grace. And then it goes on to talking about wisdom. Wisdom cannot be acquired directly. Wisdom cannot be taught by one to another. Understanding which is nourished by experience, deepened by persistent effort to better obedience, gradually matures into wisdom. Wisdom is understanding put to the service of love. And so this gets back to the ideas, the two opposing ideas that we talked about. It's kind of near and dear to my heart because it was the, the uh, lesson that I taught way, way back when we were talking about the, um, our, our mission statement and what we believe as a church is love and holiness. There's holiness, there's perfection, there's God, and then there's love. And as we mesh those two together, it brings wisdom because you realize just how hard the world is. And it requires wisdom in order to be able to navigate it. And it requires wisdom to be practical in your Christianity. It's not something you can just do. It's not something you check off. It's, it's a way of life. It's something that transforms us. Uh, the, next, the next point we're going to touch on is cosmic significance. And if you look back here at the, at the highlighted uh, section, it talks about the present evil age. Talk, we, and this was mentioned earlier when we were, when we were uh, having some of the earlier discussions about the gospel. We need to be delivered from this present evil age. And there's, and there's cosmic significance to the gospel. It's not just behavior. It's way bigger than that. It's way, way bigger. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What are some areas in Scripture where we get a sense of this cosmic battle, where the cosmic battle is actually discussed? Mike. Yes. Yes. Uh, Lee. The whole book of Job. Yeah. Job is an is an excellent 
object lesson in this because it starts out with this, this foundational narrative that all the characters in this particular, in, in the, in the uh, earthly realm are totally blind to. You've got Satan coming before God saying that uh, this faithful servant of yours wouldn't be so faithful if you let me, if you let me work on him for a little bit. First he talks about you know, taking away everything that he has, then he says, let me strike him. But God, uh, in his grace, allows Job to go through some pretty horrible things. But in, and in the end, how does, how does God reveal himself to Job? And how does he answer Job's question of why? Yeah, he 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 makes the deck. Yeah. Tim, you're going to say something. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think the Pilgrim's Progress is a good, actually a good re illustration as opposed to like the Frank Peretti sort of this present darkness uh, kind of giving a sense of, uh, you know, uh, trying to make it a little bit more concrete. But I think the Pilgrim's Progress is a, uh, a better metaphor. Uh, Ronnie. Yeah, and I and I think that we we have the the very tangible and very direct descriptions of the principalities and powers. Then you have sort of some of the the those that are you could consider them transitional, where Christ tells Peter what's go, what's going on, what's going to happen, and. If you imagine Peter in the narrative, he doesn't see what's going on. He doesn't see Satan sifting him like wheat. But then he experiences his own, his, his own sinfulness and his humanity, and he weeps bitterly when he realizes that he does need to be forgiven. So there, there, there are cosmic forces at work here, and they're, they're so significant 
and it's, it's helpful to be reminded that they're so significant that you're not going to be able to do it yourself. You're just not. God had to send his only son to stand between us and our sins to die a horrible death so that we could then have fellowship with him. So Christ is punished on our behalf. Yes, Kathy? Yes. Yes, I, you know, and I think that uh, the Apostle Paul addresses that in Romans chapter 7 about, you know, the things that I, that I want to do, I don't do, and things I don't want to do, I do. That if that's, a, if that's part and parcel of his life, the one who's explaining the riches of the gospel to us, you know, what chance do we have, you know? Yeah, they're not, they're not big. They kind of nibble away at you. And this kind of gets back to that, that point that uh, I read in the elder's handbook, which is how do, you develop, how do you develop faith and wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? Well, you, like you know what you're supposed to do, and there are so many things where it's just like, you just need to walk. You just need to put one foot in front of the other and walk the life that God has given you. And there's a bunch of simple ones that where you can do that. So then when you come into the hard situation, when you need to, you know you need to talk to somebody, but you, you know, how do I, how am I like the loving physician who has to deliver the news about cancer? You know, how do I do that? How do I care so much about somebody that I don't want to break their heart at the bad news. But at the same time, I got to give them that news because they got cancer and we got to do something about it. So how do, we, how do we speak the truth in love? How do we do this? Which is, I think, foundational to a lot of these other elements in our lives as we tr seek to, be, to have practical Christianity. We talked a little bit about, uh, about this, that this is about God himself. And um, in, in John 3, 16, uh, a verse that we're all familiar with, God had to send his son into the world to die on our behalf. But it's for fellowship with him. And I, I remember having a conversation with uh, one of my coworkers, oh, gee, it's probably almost 40 years ago now, uh, where we were talking about heaven and you know he was talking he was he was talking about going to church and everything else and he said you know if if heaven is just kind of like hanging out and singing hymns to god for the rest of eternity i don't know if i want to be doing that and i remember being struck by that because there were 
two ideas that kind of went through my head. One of them was, gee, I don't know if I want to be either. But then the other idea that I had was, but I think I better want to be because I'm going to be spending an awful lot of time in God's presence if I'm going to be there for eternity. And, and even though I would have considered myself a Christian before I considered that, I think that there's a way that God works in our lives to show us more about how of, of the incomparable riches of the gospel, but also of how he offers us more than we can think or imagine. If, if you cons let's, let's consider this just for a moment. Um, have you ever had a conversation with friends where you just didn't want it to end? You know, you're, you're at a get-together, there are people you love to be around, and you just, you wish the conversation wouldn't end. You're either learning something uh, about them, or you're learning something about the world, or you're learning something about how to act or how to think, that it's like you just don't want the evening to end. You know, imagine what, what it would be like to be around a being whose richness of essence is so deep and so wide and so long that it will take you an eternity to ever exhaust the topics that you can understand by being in his presence. Just envision that for a moment. That's what heaven will be. Or here's another question maybe to consider when you consider eternity with God. Do you really like the world that we live in right now? I mean, there may be things you enjoy about it, but do you like everything about it? Now, C.S. Lewis addressed that. His answer to that was no. Does anybody know uh, how he continued to answer that question? What Lewis said was, it doesn't seem like this world is my home. I must have been designed for another one. So if you have a deep yearning for eternity with God, it would come from recognizing that there's another place that we're designed for. There's something else that we're, we're yearning for.
Yeah, he gives us these pictures where, where there are things that we enjoy so much, but then they come to an end. And then we have to go back to all the other stuff that we don't enjoy all that much. In uh, wrapping things up here, uh, there's, a, there's a quote in Ken Sandy's Peacemaker where there's a, there's, well, there's a couple of things that he, he, he talks about in this particular edition of The Peacemaker. And one of the things that he did, which really encouraged me actually to want to, to teach this class was a stronger emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation for true peacemaking. But most of the things that he says in this book are actually foundational to just about anything when it comes to practical Christianity, whether it's temperance, whether it's speaking the truth in love, whether it's being a peacemaker, all of the, the different elements, whether it's hospitality, all the different things that God calls us to do to be practical Christians, they all come from the gospel. And when he talks about peacemakers, this is something that you could say about all people, and that or all people who are God's children. And so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to morph his language here just a little bit to, to capture the essence of uh, the gospel foundations. Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ, and then they bring His love, mercy, forgiveness, strength, and wisdom to all of daily life. And so that's, that's the power of the gospel. And uh, could somebody get Galatians 5, 22 and 23, please? It's probably, some people might be able to re recite it from memory. Could, could somebody grab that? Teresa? So th this fruit of the Spirit, again, is fruit. And if you look at the fruit of the Spirit and then you consider all of the elements that we'll end up discussing as, as part and parcel of practical Christianity, those, those elements all have at their foundation part of the fruit of the Spirit. And what's What's different between what's the difference between fruits of the spirit and gifts of the spirit? Ronnie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, a gift of like they're they're, you know. Some have the gift of teaching. You know, I'd love to be Steve Barry. Others, you know, proclaim the gospel with power. We've been blessed to have such a man uh, speaking in our pulpit for some time now. And uh, God works uniquely in the, in the people in his kingdom to give them gifts. 
but he also gives us fruit. And all of us can have those nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit. We can all have that. We can all have that. And it's the power of the gospel for those, for those who believe. So in, in kind of wrapping things up here, um, yeah, sure. Yes, they will be shown. And there's, there's, the, there's that, that powerful object lesson that Christ gives with the fig tree that didn't have any fruit and he cursed it. That, that showed that they, they should be there. So, so what do you do if you're having trouble with the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Because we all do. I mean, you know, we, we had the discussion about how sometimes we do what we don't want to do and sometimes we don't do what we do want to do. So what do you do? How do you deal with that? Yes, Elizabeth. Yes, we, we cry out to God. We repent, yes, for our lack of faith. Yeah, I believe, help my unbelief. And this is one of those tricky things because it's not like you can muster it up, but, but if you cry out to God, he'll answer you. Um, I'll get a little autobiographical here. Um, one of the things that uh, Ronnie and I are learning as we're spending time, as she's now spending time with a work from anywhere, always has to work from home husband, is that we kind of rub up against each other a little more than we used to before. And, uh, and I was, I was struggling with, you know, why are we not getting along? And, you know, I started out with the usual, you know, confessing my wife's sins. And at one point, I just got struck right between the eyes by just what a sinner I've been. And God not only unpacked that, but he just unpacked like, and you've been sinning here, and you've been sinning here, and you've been sinning here. And the, the thing that really struck me most was just how, you know, I looked at from the found, very foundations of our marriage, you know, before we had children, we, just, we were just married. My wife was bringing me food in the office because, you know, I had this tendency to overwork. And she would actually, she'd make dinner, and then when I didn't show up at home, she came and she would bring it to me. And it only got worse over my career. Now, the only reason why I tell you this is not, um, it's, it's not to make any point other than this, that like, I was so blind to my sin and the way that I was putting my faith in how much time I put into work. I was not putting my faith in God. I didn't look 
I didn't have God at the center of my world. I didn't trust that things would work out with my job if I was obedient and a Christ-like husband. And you end up reaping the consequences. You, you do that for 35 years, and you got a little bit of, little bit. You got a lot of heavy lifting you got to do to recover from that. And and I recognize that, and I also recognize the the impact that it had on my relationships with my children. All the things that I missed because of work, that I thought were okay. Uh, at, in the moment. And when all of this hit me. I was like, I was devastated. It was, it was it like it had me in the, in the depths of depression. But then I remembered the gospel. And I remembered that the Lord Jesus Christ is standing be between me and that three and a half decades of sin that I accumulated just in my marriage. And it was, it was so freeing to know that Yes, you did all these horrible things, but you don't have to atone for them yourself. I did. I'm the one who died for you. That's what Christ tells us all. He died for us. And it's quickening and freeing because you're no longer looking at your performance. You know, you're, you're, like, uh, you're like the man who was, was given the ability to walk. You know, he's walking and leaping and praising God. That lightens your soul. It fills you with a desire to know and love God. And it gives you the energy to do the things that he calls you to do. So how do you get that way? You've got to spend time in God's word. You've got to read it. You've got to pray it. You've got to meditate on it. So you need a little bit of margin in your life to do that. But that's the foundation to practical Christianity. You want to do the things that God calls you to do? You want to have God show you and then fill you with a desire to do his will? You got to understand what his will is, and that's in scripture. And uh, I'd like to ask if there are any questions before I close things or any comments that anyone wants to make. Any thoughts? Yep, Mike.
Any, any, other, any other thoughts? So, and just kind of wrapping things up. So, the foundation, the ultimate foundation for practical Christianity is to believe. You just have to believe it. That's all you have to do. I mean, really believe it. Encounter it, believe it, and trust in God. And remember, he who has begun a good work in you will surely complete it. Trust him. Take him at his word. Don't look at your performance and base your relationship with God on that. Don't think that you're going to have something to bring to him. He uses your lack of performance to remind you that you need his grace. Okay, let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. Eternally begotten Son, we rejoice in your perfection and the way that you lived the perfect life that we cannot. Holy Spirit, we rejoice that God has placed you within us and you are the one who equips us to do your will. O triune God, as we consider your glory, your infinite and eternal and unchangeableness, your holiness and your love, we ask that you would equip us today to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and that you would prepare our hearts even now as we prepare to come into worship, that we would respond to that grace with a love that is quickened and strengthened by the love that you have first had for us. We ask for all of these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, Amen.